Fortnite in Film is a podcast where every week you get the chance to listen in on a group of film lovers chatting about the great, or not so great, movies that we've been watching over the past fortnight. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of A Fortnight in Film. I'm your host, Jason. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're welcoming a special guest back to the podcast, third time, but the first time actually since the end of last year. So it's been a, a very long time between appearances. Uh, we're very happy to have you back regardless. So welcome again, Andrew. Oh, I'm excited to be back. I love talking <laughs> about movies. <laughs> before we jump into it, I, uh, I want to give you a, a chance to get a free plug in. You've made a movie recently. Tell us, tell us about it. Yeah, so um, I made a documentary over a... Um, devised theater process which is basically um you read a text um after reading the text you kind of uh, write responses to it uh and the way that our theater does it is we turn that um those writings into a show of its own um it's a very funny show it's a very silly show but it also has um I, I guess saying that is kind of an overgeneralization. It has funny moments. It's a lot about like telling stories and like telling personal experiences and relating them to things that everyone uh, who comes to see the show has read because we do it for a class which is uh, called the Cornerstone class. Uh, the project's called American Dreams, a Cornerstone project. The Cornerstone is basically an English um, type course. So we write the show, perform the show within like a week and a half. And then it's performed for, I think there's um, 600 students who see it. And then there's one open night showing where like the entire department slash like anyone who wants to come see it can go see it. I think that was, we have a lot of recordings of like different nights kind of intermixed between in the second half of the, in the second half of the film. It was a pretty grueling process for a lot of it. The editing got very, uh, I learned a lot about pacing myself when it comes to uh, like editing, about how to be at more productive space. I, I'm a chronic procrastinator, and it was a very grueling experience because of my own doing. Um, but yeah, it was a really fun project. Uh, hopefully I can get the opportunity to do it this year as well. I'm saving up money right now to get um, camera and hopefully some sound equipment as well. So if I do that, then it'll be uh, completely out of my own pocket this time. Um, it is free on YouTube and it is in my uh, pinned, it's my pinned review on my letterbox. There we go. Check it out, people. You know, I was, I was saying to, um, cause I just mentioned you before I'm recording like out of, out of sync. Like I've, this is episode 31, but I've already recorded episode 32 of George. And I mentioned to him, you know, that we were having you on later in, later in the week. And um, I said to him, like, you know, we've only had a few guests on the podcast before, but the guests we have on are like so interesting. You know, like you've made a film, Daniel, who's on before. You know, he's he's made films. I think you know he's he's written scripts. He's you know published books. Um, you know, it, it, even someone like Cam, who we had on, you know, he is he was not from a film background. Um, you know, he came on and you know I thought it gave some really interesting insights for someone who's not me or Christian or George or you know yourself or or, or Daniel who are super in the film. Um, so, you know, we've, we've, we've done pretty well with a guest so far. Yeah. I feel like we're getting I, I, some interesting people on, so. Yeah. And I, I continue 
to I pl- I'm planning to continue to make more in the future as well. Um, I'm so passionate about talking about them because I'm so passionate about like the medium as a whole. I'm really excited to continue to develop things because I just uh, think that this is a very special medium. Um, I think in a lot of ways it's about perfection uh, in like a very specific type of way. And I think that's what's really inspiring about it. Obviously perfection can't be attained, but like the, uh, like that pursuit of it, you get like to retry and you get to redo things. And I just think that's a really cool thing um, to like really just make the best product uh, in a very collaborative space. And it is very collaborative and it's, it's just a very wonderful thing. Heads up. The films we're about to discuss may contain spoilers. For a list of the movies we cover this week, check out the description. Well, on the uh, on the topic of film, let's jump into our three films for the episode. Um, kick it off with my pick, which is Stand By Me, uh, from 1986, directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, stars Will Wheaton, uh, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, and Jerry O'Connell. Uh, so the plot follows uh, the four boys. It's it's sort of the whole thing is sort of told by a flashback because um, it's it's related to a a story the the main character Gordy is writing as an adult. It flashes back to uh, nineteen fifty nine, um, and it follows these these four boys um, who uh, all sort of have their own issues. I guess you know they all have different issues at home. You know with their parents and their upbringing and. And, you know, I guess they sort of, you know, initially came together through that. Where the film picks up, you know, they're they're all very close to each other and they hang out a lot. So one of the boys, Vern, overhears uh, his older brother and another guy talking about a dead body uh, they found of a of another boy. So the four boys in the film are, are all sort of, you know, said to be 12 years old. Uh, there was another uh, 12-year-old boy who was killed Um and, you know, Vern overhears his, his older brother and this other guy saying, oh, they found the body. Vern tells his friends and they decide to set off uh, in search of finding this body. It follows them, you know, on this journey to, to, to find the body. But it, it's, it's you know, a much more deeper message than that. You know, the the journey is, is symbolic for a lot of different things. Um, so that's probably as far as I'll go in terms of the plot. We, I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll get into different you know different details of it as we get to talking about it um so this was a rewatch for me i hadn't seen it. i've seen it maybe i've definitely seen it before i've maybe seen it twice before um but i hadn't seen it in many years i held it up there very highly i held it up there as a five star film so i was keen to rewatch it and see if it held its rating for me it did um i still have it at five stars i think it's a fantastic film so i have lots of positive glowing things to say about it um what but what did you think I haven't seen this movie since I was a lot younger. I probably was like, probably like the age of the boys the first time I saw the movie. Um, And I knew I had it, the DVD of it somewhere shoved in a closet. So I did some rummaging around and I found it and I was really happy to find my like original DVD copy of it. Um, I thought it was pretty great. I have it as five star. I don't use half stars. It's somewhere between an like if I were, it would probably be somewhere between like an eight and nine. I think it is an excellent movie. I love the um the biggest thing that really stuck out to me was like the theme of like kind of the myth versus the reality of like every situation, which I thought was just told really effectively. Where it was like I think that it shows itself in a lot of ways. 
kind of the biggest one obviously being the dead body there's kind of this myth about it where it's like um if i find this body i will be famous but the reality of that situation is um i have to confront a lot of things from my past i didn't expect to uh and i just think there's so much of that that's in the movie um and i just think it tells it really effectively i i think this movie is really great i think the direction is excellent of it um i think river phoenix is what really carries the movie for me i think uh probably the weakest link of the four boys for me was Vern, but even him i didn't like yeah i don't have like a lot of problems with him uh but it was just like generally his character i wasn't um super fascinated by um yeah i have um some criticisms for it but for the most part i think this movie is very great very effective uh it's a great coming of age story and it's surprisingly fun (laughs) for the most part i would say given like the themes and tones it's trying to tackle i think it does a really good job of like maintaining that child joy that childlike joy and it just communicates it all really effectively you know i'd agree with a lot of that i mean i think for me I mean, I, I'm a total sucker for coming-of-age films, first of all. So any any film that can do a coming-of-age well, I just fall in love with. It tackles so many of those sort of classic, you know, coming-of-age themes, but I think it does it in a, in like you said, just a very fun sort of joyful way. You know, it is about adolescence. It is about friendships, especially, you know, male friendships. Um, you know, it is about, you know, nostalgia and growing up and, you know, looking back on those times and, you know, with perhaps you know roasting to glasses which i also really like um about that specifically there's a line at the very end of it and i want to pull it up quick because uh as soon it was something he types at the very end of the movie uh i gotta just pull it up what is it yeah i never had any friends later on like the ones i had when i was 12 jesus does anyone that line came up and i was like that's a really uh interesting statement that i think i kind of wholeheartedly agree with which is why i like I, I don't know, it's just, like, understanding how, just, like, the carelessness of, like, how you can be careless in your adolescence um, just brings you closer to people. But this also this movie also kind of rejects the idea that you can be careless when you're a child. Like, uh, very early on in the movie when uh, uh, Corey Feldman, I can't remember his character's name. Uh, Teddy. Teddy! He tries to do the train, do- uh, the train dodge. Yeah. And, uh, uh river phoenix is it chris right chris yep chris yeah he like pulls him off they have that great fight scene where you can't hear anything they're saying because the train is so loud it's kind of like rejects the idea that you can just be careless uh in that moment where it shows like actions have consequences which is another like big thing of the movie i think i mean i mean back what you said i just think that encapsulates the whole essence of a film perfectly of you know, you look back on those times as an adult and you think like, wow, that was, you know, a great time. I was growing up, you know, I was 12 years old, I have these great friends. And like you said, it is careful. You don't really have any worries. I mean, your biggest worry is, oh, you have to do homework or, you know, you get into some silly argument with a friend that you forget about the next day. We all, and I think that's a big reason why this film is so highly rated and so beloved even now. I mean, 1986, you know, we're talking what over, you know, it's been, you know, over 30 years coming up on 40 years. Um, and people still hold it in such high regard because I think everybody can relate, especially if you're male. Because, like you know, like we've said, it is about that sort of male bonding and that friendships you have at that age. But really, anybody you know, I think can relate to that that feeling of of 
you know, you get to an adult and, you know, you do have responsibilities and you have a job and you have a house and maybe you have a wife or husband or kids and, you know, life isn't as carefree as it was when you were 12 years old and you can't just go on adventures with your friends. And and I, I think this film just encapsulates that time in your life so perfectly, hence people can look back and and relate to it so heavily because I think it showcases all those things, you know, that time, you know, you have the innocence, but then, you know, you're like, you're this big, you know, tough talking, you know, bravado and all these stories at the same time. And then you have like, you know, this curiosity, to, oh, let's go and see a dead body. But at the same time, you're apprehensive because how are you going to respond to that? Um, the whole themes of what it tackles and how it does it is is just great because it's, it's you know, everything is like an allegory for something bigger. You know, it's it's the thing that drives the plot forward is them going to see this dead body. But that it's it's not just that, it's actually, you know, them seeing that body is like the death of innocence, you know, that all children have to go through as they grow up, you know. And yes, okay, they're following, you know, the film follows them on this journey. It's, you know, it's not just a journey to see the body. It's like a journey into adolescence. I think it's just incredible film. Uh, the acting, I mean, I think like you said, the acting was fantastic. I mean, especially when you consider how young the boys were. I mean, some of it was, it was, you know, the first film they'd done, um, and I, which I think the script definitely helped. I think, you know, the reason I love this film so much is because it just feels so authentic. And I think the characters feel so authentic, the, the script feels so authentic. And I think to your point, I mean, I thought all the actors did a really good job. Whoever Phoenix was for standout, he's, you know, he's one of those actors who, and I, I said this in my review that I wrote, <laughs> I said, um, he's similar to James Dean in the sense of he died young. He was a well-known actor. Uh, and, you, you know, you're left with that thing of what if, you know, what if he hadn't died at 23? What if he had continued? And because, I mean, I, I haven't seen, I think this might be the only film I've seen him in. Um, but I know he's had other, you know, I know his performances in other films were, you know, highly thought of, you know, things like um, Running on Empty or My Own Private Idaho. Yeah, he's great in My Own Private Idaho. I have my qualms with that movie, but I think he's very much a standout performance of that. Yeah, and like I don't think, and so I'd have to see them to assess. I don't think he is as good an actor as James Dean. Um, he was certainly in more films than James Dean. Obviously, James Dean was only in three films. Um, but you know, it 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 is that same thing of okay, this guy had you know great talent even at this age. You know, he was actually fifteen, sixteen when he filmed this. He looks younger. Um, but even even at that age, you know, you can tell, you know, he he had it. Um, and you're like, what if, you know, what if he lived to be 83, you know, all the roles he could have had. I agree with all of that. Uh, I think uh, some of my favorite, uh, just to like break down some more like specific beats, um, I really love the train scene, like the infamous train scene of this movie, um, which is something I like, I like have random thoughts of sometimes. And it's like a movie like I can never, I can never remember what movie it's from. And then I start, like, the second this movie started, I went, oh, shit, it's going to have that train scene in it. And I, like, knew what the train scene was. I knew how it was going to, like, go down. And it's still, like, that's just, it's just edited so well. I think the way it, like, shows off its tension is, like, really good. Like, the, the um, Vern is, like, crawling on the, like, railroad tracks. And he's, like, too he's like a more afraid of like tripping on like the railroad that he is of the train coming at him which i just think is like a really funny like little character thing 
I think the leeches scene is also really funny. Um, <laughs> if not uh, completely grotesque. Um, but I, I, I think this moment, this movie is just filled with like those small, uh, like, like a lot of smaller moments. I mean, even like a small moment too that I really like is the, um, when he is telling a story and then you can tell by the way that it is, uh, it starts showing it visually. You can tell that he is such a good storyteller that um, what is showing is just how the kids are envisioning it because of his ability to use words, which I thought was really, really creative. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought of it in that way, but now you say that, that like totally makes sense. And that's, you know, that's the whole that's you know Gordy's character right he's a storyteller he's a writer that's what I think was one of the things I really liked was each character felt like fleshed out like they had their own thing um because sometimes you know when you when you're following a number of main characters and there's also a number of supporting characters in this too you can sort of you know characters can sort of get lost in in the phrase such and you know I, I I do I think to your point earlier I do think Vern was the most underdeveloped um only because we never saw like we we heard things about the other boys upbringings that we could correlate and say oh okay chris's dad was abusive hence chris is the way he is or teddy's dad put his ear to you know the stove in in you know this fit of whatever so that's why teddy's the way he is but you know Vern, we, we never got that and obviously we saw you know the way gordy's parents especially his father treated him so i i think yeah Vern was the most underdeveloped and thus perhaps the least relatable. Um, but it, even him, you know, all four of them, they had their own sort of, you know, personalities and, and story arcs and, and something they brought to it, um, which which I just thought was great. Um, and then I guess, you know, the, the final point I make is I think it, it isn't just, but you know, the actors in the writing, or the characters, I should say, but the characters in the writing, you know, bring so much genuineness to the film but i think it's also like you know the, the costume just you know what the boys are wearing and so you know of its time something specific i noticed about the costumes is like um the three boys uh uh chris Vern, and uh teddy their costumes feel very complimentary of each other and to me it felt like um gordy had like his shirt and like his general outfit felt out of place um, with the other three boys. And I thought that was like a very effective tool of communicating um, what is said a lot in the film where it's like, he should not be hanging out with these people. He feels kind of out of place with all of these people. And that was just like a really subtle thing that I noticed that I was uh, really, it like really connected with me. Um, Cause they would like cut to shots of like the three of them. And then it would cut back to him and there would feel like there was some sort of like disconnect. And then I was like, Oh shoot. It's literally just like the shirt and the costuming. It's like, the way the colors are accented looks different showing that like the characters are just like, like they almost like don't belong together. But at some point when they get all muddy and dirty, it doesn't really matter that they don't belong together. That just was like a really subtle thing that I thought was really cool. Man, that's such a good point. See, I love this. You, you bring so much new insight. I hadn't thought of it. Really, <laughs> but now sure. I'm like, Oh, it's, you know, it's so true. Um, and like, you know, other stuff too, the music obviously, you know, was great and, you know, such, you know, great tunes from the, you know, 50s and 60s included you know the cinematography i thought was just fantastic it just looked you know it, it looked of the time it was set and of the time it was filmed if that makes sense it just looked you know like of that time i mean it, it, even yes you know, so i can't i can't find any fault of this film even narration which i usually hate 
it actually worked here because it served a purpose because your your it, the point of of Gordy narrating it as an adult is he's he's you know he's recounting his memories of childhood and he's you know he's he's telling a story as he he does he's writing a book um or an article or, or you know whatever it is he's writing and, and so you know the narration has a point right because my, my problem with narration is always I feel like it's it's undervaluing the audience and you're you know you're you're sort of the director is assuming oh the audience is stupid so we're going to have someone throughout the film explain what's happening to um and I'm always like no show don't tell but I think here it 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 works in the context it's it's in which again I you know if I can't find fault with even that it's just it's just a perfect film so um <laughs> I'm uh, I'm very glad I picked it I'm very glad I I liked it upon rewatching because there have been some films I've been rewatching lately that I haven't similarly that I haven't seen in many years that um have uh, lessened in my eyes as time has gone on. But no, this one um held its five star rating. Arguably one of the best coming of age films ever. Arguably, I would say you know one of the best films ever. Just full stop. I have a couple other things about it. Um, I like the um older group of friends as they kind of signify like. Uh, I think this movie in like um, its own specific ways tackling a little bit of like the idea of toxic masculinity, though I don't think that was probably like a very, I don't even know if it was a term in the 80s. And I don't think it was addressing it in like a super direct way. But I think that that group signifies like everything that gets lost as you age in a lot of ways um, where like finding this body to them is literally just about the fame. And then when these kids find the body, they kind of realize that it's more about um, it, 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 it does something for them. Like their their idea is not finding the body and like, I mean, it is initially, but their idea changes. Even like they're like, find some long sticks. We're going to make a stretcher and bring him back. Like it's literally about taking that journey together and what that journey means at some point to them is more important than the like physical rewards that they would receive from it. And I just really like it. I also like the scene where he just pulls a gun. I think his name is Ace. <laughs> and I just love the line where uh, he's like, you can't shoot all of us. And then he just goes, I'm just going to shoot you, Ace. I, was, I laughed out loud when he said that. I thought that was so fun. Uh, not fun, but that was like such like a sick line. I thought that was just like, it was delivered really well. I really liked how it was laid in the story. Um kind of like taking apart like oppressive figures in a life was kind of like uh some type of significant uh significance of like that scene but i just thought it was more than anything i liked when they intersected i just thought it was a really cool climax uh with like the the stories um and i would say my biggest and really only main criticism with the movie is i think the flashbacks are bad the baseball cap one i completely rolled my eyes at um the second one i didn't mind as much i thought it brought like some relative insight that um the story had not shown um and it kind of uh also served a narrative purpose to later show like when he is like i don't want to be a writer that's stupid uh like the idea of his brother dying and his brother being supportive of his writing so like those like ideas intersecting um that was well needed information but i still didn't like the flashback <laughs> if that makes any sense 
Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, so I mean, for the context of you know the listener, yeah. So Gordy's older brother dies, um, you know, a car crash or something. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, um, I think they said a jeep accident specifically, which I thought yeah. was just a fun little detail. <laughs> and uh, you know, his his father very much favoured you know the older brother, and and the, you know the brother was beloved in town. He was this you know football quarterback, and and so Gordy very much feels you know in the shadow. Well, even when he was living, I'd say. You know, he felt in the shadow of his brother, and now he's dead. It's even worse. Now his mom won't even like talk to him. Exactly, she's just like catatonic. Um, so yeah, the film did flash back a couple times to show Denny when he was alive and like the relationship between him and Gordy. But yeah, I, I'd I'd agree with you. They didn't they didn't serve much of a purpose other than like you said that that one at the dinner table where it sort of showed it it, it showed the extent of the father's favoritism and and how he treated Gordy. Um, Plus he was like completely dismissive to the mother, which was like another thing where I was like, oh, this is yeah. like a little bit of a deconstruction of like the idea of toxic masculinity. I also just thought like when the characters had their moments to reflect, because they talk a lot in the movie because they're walking for some 20 miles or something like that. Um, I really like the moment when uh, Chris and Gordy are like hanging out together. And he was like, I didn't cry at my brother's funeral to me that was a lot more impactful than showing a previous relationship they had yeah i agree yeah, yeah. It, it's such a small part of the movie but it did a little bit take away from my enjoyment just because i i hate needless flashback scenes it, it's something that is in a lot of movies that i really really dislike for the most part flashbacks in movies is not my thing so i guess that's also a concession i have to make about uh saying that point at all is that i generally don't like flashbacks in movies I just had two other points. So one is just um, a very small plug uh, for a TV show, which I've talked about before, but it's so good and no one knows about it. So I'm going to plug it again. Um, Obviously, this is the film is set in uh, Castle Rock in Oregon, where a lot of Stephen King stories are set because the film is adapted from a Stephen King uh, novella. Um, So anyone who likes Stephen King... um, and like sort of psychological horror, drama, supernatural TV shows, check out a show called Castle Rock. It only ran for two seasons, and it was unfortunately cancelled. But um, that is a very good TV show, and I plug it any chance to get because no one knows about it, and it's really good. I think I've heard about it, but I've definitely never seen it. <laughs> yeah, and it should have gotten more than two seasons. Um, and then the other thing, I just want to share a quote that Will Wheaton said in an interview in 2011, um, because I think this just sums up a big reason of why the film was so successful in terms of a casting. So Will Wheaton said, uh, Rob Reiner found four young boys who were the characters we played. I was awkward and nerdy and shy and uncomfortable, my skin and sensitive. And River was cool and smart and passionate and, and even at that age, kind of like a father figure to some of us. Jerry was one of the funniest people I'd ever seen in my life, either before or since. And Coy was unbelievably angry and in an incredible amount of pain and had a terrible relationship with his parents. So I think, you know, I just want to share that quote because I think it, you know, the reason the characters felt so authentic is because in a lot of ways the boys were playing themselves. You know, Will Whedon was playing Gordy, River Phoenix was playing um, Chris, you know, uh, Corey Feldman was playing Teddy and and, uh, Joey O'Connell was playing Vern and they didn't really have to act. You know, like they might have changed the names and the situations and the time zone, you know, the time it was set. But a lot of them, you know, all four of them could relate to what their characters had to go through. And I think 
that just helped the film. You said uh, specifically the Teddy. Teddy's uh, one that I uh, I forgot to mention. Something that I really love is when uh, the one uh, the junkyard owner uh, starts calling his dad a loony, and then just like that whole unfolding. Uh, first off, that scene uh, like <clears throat> when the dog comes out. That's like a big scene of like uh, another thing with the idea of like myth versus the reality. Because it's like this lovable golden retriever that they're just like completely just dogging on um and they thought it was like the scariest thing in the world but it's just a dog at the end of the day um but that whole scene afterwards where he's uh his dad is being called a loony and then he's just screaming about my dad stormed the beaches of normandy where it's like even in this like oppressive cycle that he's been through he still like loves his dad and he like respects his father it's a very, I didn't know, like, <laughs> that they were all pretty much, like, typecast in the role, but I think, like, understanding that, like, very complex relationship, I think, really shows in that performance in that moment. Well, on that positive note, shall we move on to your pick? Sure. Uh, I picked um, Palm Springs uh, 2020 flick starring Andy Samberg um, and... I can never remember her name, but I think she's a great actress. Um, I'm pulling her up. Kristen Milotti, Milotti or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kristen, Kristen Milotti. Yeah, Kristen Milotti's in it. Um, uh, J.K. Simmons is in it. Uh, it's directed by uh, Max uh, Barbacow. Yeah, his first ever film. Is it? Oh, it really, I didn't know that, actually. Uh, you can't really tell that it's his first film. Um, I think this movie, uh, it, it is a time loop movie um where um andy samberg uh has to keep reliving the same wedding day in palm springs with his awful girlfriend um <laughs> he wakes up next to her every single day and then uh chris and gets brought into this time loop too uh along with jk simmons um and uh yeah that's pretty much the premise of the movie and then they're trying to get out um it's uh incredibly fun it's incredibly goofy. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I saw it the day it came out, and uh, I, I really loved it the first time I watched it, and it definitely still holds up. Yeah, I want to get a little bit of your thoughts. So yeah, so yeah, so um, I thought it was a good film. Um, I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. Um, I gave it three and a half stars. I thought it was good. I was I was teetering on giving it four stars. So initially, probably maybe the first. It was only a, a fairly short movie in the scheme of things. It was only ninety minutes. Um, which helped, I think, in terms of, you know, the pacing and, and you know, not dragging. I probably, you know, the first half an hour or so, I wasn't really, like, laughing at all. And, and I thought, oh, God, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to enjoy this movie. But then different things started happening and maybe I just got more into it or whatever. And I did actually find it quite funny throughout. Um, and it was just, you know, it was in some ways. So I, I have a I have a list on Letterboxd. Um, I, well, I have a lot of lists on Letterboxd. But what... <laughs> One of the lists I have is um, uh, the top 10 most charming films ever, which actually stand by me. I put in there, uh, it replaced um, a film called This Beautiful Fantastic, um, which is a very good film. Check it out. But it's not as good as Stand By Me. Um, so I put Stand By Me in there. But because there's only 10 films, it's it's very, you know, it's very restricted in a sense. Um, if I'd expanded it to say, you know, 25 most charming films ever, Palmer Springs would probably make it in because I think it was just charming in its premise you know it was charming in its ridiculousness it was charming in you know the relationship between the two main characters um 
it was just like you said a fun movie it's exactly what it is it it doesn't try and it 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 it's not okay it's not exactly what it is it breaks time loop conventions a decent amount um which is kind of like a main point of the movie is the idea of breaking um all of these like rules of it but um it's just so original and it's just exactly what you would want from a movie like this which really <laughs> makes it so fun like Andy Samberg in this just plays like the perfect like protagonist of just like this like cynical dude who's lived this day probably millions of times at this point, uh, completely given up on life. Uh, <laughs> he can choreograph a dance like at a wedding that he's been to so many times because he knows how every person's going to move just to charm one person that he's probably charmed a million times. I just love the way that it handles everything. I mean, yeah, you know, the I, I don't think I'd seen two men uh, actors and actresses in this before but i i was impressed by them i thought they were good um you know i thought the score and the music that was included was good you know the cinematography was good um and like i said you know it i thought it was well paced at 90 minutes um because you know there was plot development that moved it forward um even though it was you know the same day over and over again in a sense it it never felt repetitive or like it dragged or anything like that i think some of my favorite uh stuff in the movie uh i think probably my absolute favorite moment of the movie is probably when the first like big laugh of it even comes in where um uh chris miliotti's character is talking about um like oh if i do a good thing if i write whatever wrong i did um if i find my purpose to get out of here i'll get out of here she's so confident about it uh cuts to the next day she just walks in and said well life is meaningless let's get out of here (laughs) they just start the rest of the movie is like that's like the turning point when it becomes a comedy is after she's like completely given up on trying to understand like how to get out of here it just becomes very silly because they start doing fun silly things i love the moment where they go into the bar like this biker bar and they do this choreographed dance that you see them practicing like a little bit but then it like comes in and i think it's just the full commitment to a bit so silly like that that makes it so good yeah that was one of my favorite scenes of a film that was just hilarious (laughs) (laughs) so it's so ridiculous and fun and I, i i i just think um I think someone like Andy Samberg just makes it work because he's just such like a charming individual. But I also think this moment has like some moments of like genuine like heart. You don't know how long they've been in here. They've been in there long enough for um, Chris and Miliata's character to learn um, astrophysics. So they've been in there for a while, but they've been in there for so long that like Andy Samberg doesn't remember what his job is. And I think the ultimate payoff of that whole thing uh, of like his previous life before the loop or whatever, the ultimate payoff for that for me is at the end of the movie when he's like, oh shoot, I got to go pick up my dog. (laughs) And they've been in here for only what you could assume is years at this point. (laughs) It's the first time he's ever mentioned this dog. And I just love like this, this character that he plays. I just think it's so well written. It's so fun. Um, this movie is just a really good feel good movie. I'd agree with that. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, said you know, my my rating might be a bit misleading because I can't find a lot of fault with this film. I'm sure if I thought about it some more, I could. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it was just a fun watch. You know, enjoyable. You know, if, if you want something to watch an hour and a half, it'll make you laugh. Pick this. A side note, I'll just say, Peter Gallagher, who plays the father of a bride. I loved seeing him because I saw him and I was like, oh my God, it's Sandy from the OC. And I love the OC. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen you since the OC. So I was I was glad to see him because I wasn't really familiar with anyone else in this film. I mean, obviously I've seen J.K. Simmons in, in different films, um, but I hadn't really seen anyone else. So it was good to sort of see a familiar face and from one of my favorite shows. Um, I do have uh, some general criticisms of it. Um, I think it's... Uh it while a lot of it is like breaking form of what a conventional time loop movie would be there is still a lot of like trite overdone story beats in this that uh especially like they have their moment they have sex and then she wakes up in her bed the next day with her sister's fiance um and it's like that juxtaposition where she's like i can't keep living this day anymore and you understand it but from that moment to, like, the next scene, it plays out exactly like it would, like you think it would. They could have maybe done it in a more creative way with the rest of the movie being so, like, outrageously creative. Or at least outrageously charming. Um, <laughs> um, I just, that's, like, something that I don't love. Um, I do like the um, resolution with J.K. Simmons, which I guess we haven't really talked about his character at all. Um I think uh, he is really, really great in the movie. Um, I love his character where he's just constantly killing Andy Samberg because he's so pissed that he got stuck in a time loop. Uh, I think that's really funny. And so so confirm this for me. So he's, because I was like sort of confused by the ending. So he, well, when he approaches him at the end of a wedding... His character, J.K. Simmons' character of Roy, is still stuck in the loop. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, my girlfriend asked me about that, too. It seems like they kind of just left Roy out of it, <laughs> which I think is a very unsatisfying resolution in that area, which I would say is probably another criticism of it, where it's like, that doesn't really make sense, especially with the relationship they build between them in that last scene together, where you just leave them there. Um but yeah, he's definitely still in the time loop, and it's very silly. <laughs> um, I I do like that. Uh, he kind of changes his ways after he kind of goes through another like traumatic experience. You know, they have that repeated line where it's like nothing's worse than dying slowly in the ICU, and I just really like that he uh kind of finds the best of it of his, that experience for him uh in that last day, which I really like where he's just like, hey, you just got to find what keeps you going every single day. He also has that moment where he goes into the bar. He's like, I've felt everything I'm ever going to feel. Uh, because like now he's actually connected with a person instead of just being in this uh, situation where he interacts with the same people with the same interactions every single day. And I just really like the character growth of realizing there is more to life than being stuck in this loop, drinking beer and <laughs> pretty much just drinking beer. <laughs> Um, I think that's most of my thoughts on it. It's just a really fun movie. It's exactly what you think it's going to be. Let's move on to our final pick, uh, which 
comes via George. Um, so this is a very classic film, um, one that had been on my watch list for many years. Um, Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes. Um, I know there's been many different remakes, reboots, or different things since this has been released. Uh, this is the original film uh, from 1968, um, directed by Franklin J. Schaffner. Stars Charlton Heston. Uh, he's sort of a main main character, um, the main actor. There are other people, but um, most of them are in monkey suits. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> um, so the film follows. Uh, there's four astronauts um, who are in a you know who are in a in a spaceship um, cruising around space. Um, and they wake up from hibernation just over 2,000 years after they left Earth. So one of them dies on board because there was like an air leak in her sleeping chamber. They crash into this um, ocean, this, this lake, on what seems to be, uh, you know, a, a different planet. They're sort of, you know, wandering the desert of this planet, and they come across some other humans eventually, um, but they're sort of... Um, primitive and they they can't speak and then as this is happening um a whole bunch of apes you know monkeys you know gorillas etc um come along who are armed and you know riding horses and have guns and whips and nets and uh it's established that on this planet they've landed on um you know the the apes are in charge and humans are slaves so they well uh, Charlton Essen's character of Taylor is the only one who survives out of the four. Um, as you said, the, the one of the other astronauts on board dies from this um, air leak. Um, another one uh, gets killed uh, during the course of being hunted initially, um, and another one is is captured and sort of you know given a lobotomy. Um, so he is still alive, but he's not really there. Um, so Taylor's captured, um, and he eventually, because he was shot in the throat, um, he eventually uh, learns, you know, speaks again once his his wounds are healed. The apes are sort of um, in, you know, shock and awe because none of the other humans on on this planet can speak. He's the the first one who they've heard can speak, um, and yeah, you know, he starts writing things and he speaks, and these two. Uh, animal psychologists, um, you know, who are apes, of course, as everybody else is, um, you know, take an interest in him and sort of, you know, look out for him. And Taylor escapes. The the, the two psychologists, um, Cornelius and Zira, uh, help him. They're all sort of sentenced. Um, they escape again. Uh, they go out to this place called the Forbidden Zone, um, where uh, Cornelius discovered a while ago like evidence of humans who were there before the apes the the people in charge uh, led by a dr zaius um they catch up with them and they go into this cave and and they see you know evidence of humans in a past society you know they have eyeglasses and dentures and a heart valve and there's a doll which talks and zaius says he's always known you know that humans were there it's sort of, you know, in, in opposition to what their their laws and scriptures state, which is that, you know, uh, apes were descended from humans. 
um, not the other way around, but you know, apes are superior. And then the film ends with uh, Taylor rides off. Um, they sort of let him go, um, and he comes across. Uh, he's on a beach, and he comes across, which was a great twist, by the way. Um, he comes across uh, the Statue of Liberty, um, like half of the Statue of Liberty on on this beach, um, and he realizes that this planet he's on, which he thought was some you know random planet in the solar system, it's actually Earth. You know, because they've been in space for two thousand years. You know, there was this nuclear war, and and you know humans were, in essence, you know, wiped out, and and uh, you know the apes have sort of you know regained um, superiority, and you know society sort of reversed. Um, so that's the film. Um, I gave it four stars. I feel like that was sort of generous because I was sort of leaning towards three and a half. But um, so yeah, so you know, I I uh, enjoyed it. Um, what did you think? Uh, I thought the th- the first thirty minutes were great. A lot of the cinematography, a lot of the editing was like really bold and unique, and it was very experimental, especially for like that time, and it felt very modern in like that first thirty minutes how it was shot. And I would say I stop liking the movie just about as soon as they meet the apes because it doesn't really feel like much happens um, in like the, the rest of the 90 minute runtime. The twist is interesting, but I've also seen it parodied a million times. So like getting to it, I was just like, I know exactly what's going to happen, which is more like a thing about like culture than anything else. Um, so I can't really like stop that, I guess. I don't know. It just felt like they kept doing a lot of the same things over and over again. I think I have it as a three star right now. I think that's fine for what it is. It just doesn't really feel like a lot happens. And I just don't really like the way it explores its themes very much. There's like that, a bureaucratic scene when they're like doing the court or whatever for like the, um, for the main character, uh, uh, Taylor. I don't know what it was. I was just like <laughs> bored out of my mind during that scene. And like the chase scene, I didn't really like, like it, it was so strange. I wasn't like, I, I wasn't super impressed by the editing or like how that, the pacing of that scene went really, uh, which is just so strange to me. Cause I just thought the beginning was so like unique. And so, especially its own thing. Um, yeah. I, I went into this movie thinking that there was a chance that I wouldn't like it just because I was like it was one of those movies where I was just like I just don't think it's gonna be for me um and the first 30 minutes really were subverting me like I thought it was gonna like totally win me over I thought the first 30 minutes just flew by but it just like it just it just never gets back for me (laughs) yeah that's fair I mean you know I think I tried to look up a bit of analysis before we started recording there's a lot of different themes you know, which a film tackles. I'm not uh, going to go into them. You know, I, I think one of the things I found, and maybe you know, if I if I thought about it some more, maybe this is just you know of its time. You know, I've thought about other films of the '60s, but it was very heavy-handed in what it was trying to communicate. It, you know, there was no subtlety whatsoever. It, I, you know, I I thought of it as like a worse animal farm in a sense, like because it was sort of some of the same themes. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was very obvious what it was trying to do, um, which I think, 
lessened the enjoyment somewhat because you can you know, the audience can clearly see what is happening and what the society is like etc we don't need to sort of have it explicitly detailed to us you know 20 times in the space of two hours which i also think the two-hour runtime is egregious for like what this movie is doing i think a crisp 90 minutes would have made this movie so much more enjoyable yeah, for me i agree uh it's it's just too long uh, the female character really bothered me in this movie, and it wasn't just because, like, she was completely unwritten, though that was a big part of it, but, like, this dude just c- develops this insane emotional connection with her, and it makes no sense because she can't talk. It's literally just because she's hot, and that, like, that really rubbed me the wrong way. It was just like, this is the most, this is a completely underdeveloped character, and they're treating her like she has done or said anything in the entire movie that was that was something that really took away from me i thought the i thought the scientists were fun i would say the only thing really keeping me engaged with the movie is how like fun their performances were um especially in a movie that takes itself as seriously as this was which it shouldn't because this movie is ridiculous and it should have just treated itself like it was ridiculous. I think they knew the movie they were in a little bit better. And they were really playing it up for the camera, which I really enjoyed. And yeah, I think, you know, that, that character, so, you know, for the sake of the, uh, the listeners, there's a, there's a, another uh, human there who is one of the, the humans on the planet who is, you know, mutant and, you know, can't speak or really do anything. Who's called Nova. Well, he calls her Nova. Um and yeah, she just had no purpose. She was just there for eye candy and it's just like, you know, obligatory romantic interest for the main male lead. And I'm like like I said, she never spoke, she never did anything, it was just redundant. You never you know, you, you could have got rid of that character and the movie would not have suffered whatsoever. Yeah, and it, it really took away from like man riding off into the sunset with a pretty girl made less sense than it ever has because they don't connect they don't have a connection like there's no reason that these characters should be together besides the fact that they're both humans then you know some other things for me i mean like you said cinematography was fantastic i mean the landscapes you know where they filmed um i just want to look and see what the actual locations were so they filmed i mean the grand canyon obviously was a big part of it um you know different places around there arizona um yeah so you know it was fantastic to look at um you know these wide long shots in in those first 30 minutes you know to sort of you know just encapsulate the the breadth of the planet that they're on which obviously turns out to be earth i mean it it, it, even you know the the scene where we first see the the humans the, the primitive humans and like the framing of it where like in in you know, like the right half of the screen, it showed the astronauts walking through, and in the left half, you just saw these these figures sort of running around in the distance. Like I just thought, you know, shots like that were great. Yeah, that was really great staging. I really liked how that was done, especially with it being so far away. I thought like it was very, mu- it was very crazy to me to think of like I I don't know if it was completely sporadic or if they had like planned it out, but just like the way that people came in and out was just really, really well staged. I thought the music throughout was good. The score was good, you know. I actually, yeah, I noticeably loved the score. I was really surprised by how like connected I was with it. Yeah, because it just added so much tension to it, especially like you know that that first when he first escapes and when he's captured again. Um, but you know the score throughout I thought was good. The acting, 
I wasn't very keen on reacting. I mean, Charlton Heston was good, but I do feel like he was sort of, you know, I, I wrote in my notes, he was like affected in a sense, like he was sort of over the top. But I guess that's sort of reminiscent of him as an actor. Um, I've seen him in a, a few other things, and I guess he is maybe over the top in, in his acting style. Um, but I mean, I don't think he, I mean, you know, he was good. I wouldn't say like, oh, he was great. He was fantastic. But, you know, he was, you know, for, for the role he was playing, he was fine. It's hard to judge other people in the film because like you said they were in monkey suits the whole time so <laughs> it's hard to be like oh they were really good actors like it's hard to say that when you're in a, a prosthetic ape suit and you know on that point i've read that um you know certainly first time of 1968 you know the the prosthetics and the makeup were groundbreaking in a sense and, and held up their you know very high regard um i guess looking at it by today's standards they weren't the best. It looks rather silly. Um, and and similarly with like w- when they talked, like the lip, like their lips moving didn't sort of sync up. Yeah, that was really bad. That was really noticeable in a few in a few moments. Yeah, I noticed a lot too. But uh, you can sort of forgive it because of you know the time and obviously you know if they had if they did that now, it'd probably be CGI, right? It wouldn't even be you know a costume. By today's standards, looking at it in twenty twenty two, you can look at it and go, oh, it looked silly and the rest of it. But I think you can give it a bit of leeway for its time and, and, and what it was trying to do. I, I also think it, it kind of sucks for like a lot of the accomplishments that this movie made because it was completely overshadowed by 2001, which is in my opinion, the far superior 1968 sci-fi movie, uh, arguably the best movie of all time, I would say. Um, and I just think, uh, having a lot of accomplishments in the technical department uh be completely overshadowed by the uh completely conceding the far superior effects that they do in 2001 um it it does feel a little bit sad uh just like because you can tell how much work was gone into a lot of like the costumes like this whole world even like the costume design it like told a story which i thought was really interesting I think the technical aspects of this movie are really the only things I did connect with. I mean, even the the structures of the buildings I thought were really interesting. I liked seeing the history of the world through the lens of like the the like costumes and I mean they he the the guy at the end the doctor he even has like the the scrolls just in his pocket. <laughs> he just has it like rolled up and they like pull it out and read it. I just think it's uh it's just that stuff is just the the way the world building works is a lot more effective than this narrative about this dude that I don't care about at all. I think that wraps up episode 31. Thanks everyone for tuning in and thanks to Andrew for coming back on the podcast for a third time. Three timers club. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, uh, we'd love it if you could give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and we will see you next week.